Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning everybody and welcome to another edition of Keep Left, the program of the Labor College. It's very nice to have uh, Irene back. Good morning everybody. Good morning Mr. Gaffney. Oh, good morning, uh, Madam. <laughs> <laughs> Call me Madam. Cool. Yes, I will from now on. <laughs> well, uh, you may remember, we well, probably don't, but 56 years ago, Dwight Eisenhower, in his farewell address, warned about the danger of the industrial military complex. He cautioned against the expanding and total influence, economic, political, and spiritual, in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government of the military industrial complex. Well, if it was bad in his day, it's got much worse today. Well, it controls the world. This was exemplified by Trump's speech on Monday (laughs) announcing that they would be uh, in Afghanistan uh, seemingly forever, Mm -mm. having been there for 16 years, which makes it a long war. But he's going to actually sort it out, isn't he? Oh, yes, of course he is, of course he is. He made it clear that the military leadership, without any civilian oversight or even a fig leaf of congressional authorization, they would determine how many additional troops would be mm. sent to fight in Afghanistan and how long they would stay there. Well, it'll be forever. Because well, they can well, ne- who can, nobody's been able win. to sort out Afghanistan. They never win. will. No. Over the past week, the Army and the Marine Corps <coughs> in Trump's cabinet, retired General John Kelly, retired General Mad Dog Mattis... <laughs> How would you like to have a title like that? And an active duty General McMaster have used the crisis surrounding Trump's endorsement of the neo-fascist rampage in Charlottesville to strengthen the grip of the military over the government. But these developments, which in any ordinary civilised society would be treated with profound apprehension, have actually been welcomed by the Democratic Party and the media mouthpieces. For example, The Post, owned by a billionaire Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, and speaking for a substantial selection of the political establishment, presents the growing power of the military in the Trump administration as a positive development. It calls them (laughs) voices of moderation. Jeez, I'd hate to see the voices of extremism. (laughs) <laughs> they don't. They never. They don't get irony. The Americans no, do they, they? You not see, at because all. if you watch even watch their uh, comedy shows, now, they don't get irony at all. No, no. This actually so, a show called The President. Have you seen? If you've no. ever seen Fox or where someone, it's set in Trump's cabinet. Oh, with an excellent impersonator. Oh, it's actually not a bad show. Oh, oh, okay. It's not Saturday Night Live, is it, or something? No, 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 no. no. This no. Is so something it's else. a special. Oh, this is a show. It's a, like a, a comedy acted out comedy. Oh, set, okay. Set in the White House with Trump. Along the same lines, the New York Times carried a column by Roger Cohen declaring that the generals are acting like adults in the room, (laughs) seeking to tether Trump and curtail his wilder instincts. (laughs) These pronouncements by the Post and the Times represent the consensus view of the ruling elite, and more particularly that of the Democratic Party, which has opposed Mm. Trump almost entirely on issues of foreign policy. They're not overly concerned the fact that he's dismantling health, welfare and education. No. They are much more interested in criticising his insufficient deference to the military and the intelligence apparatus and his unwillingness to actually go to war with Russia. Well, yes, now, isn't he a silly boy? Well, isn't he a silly boy? <laughs> he well, likes 
Mr. Putin, though. They're friends. Well, that's right, but I don't <laughs> care what the reason is. I think war, not having war is a good thing. It is, yes. Thomas Friedman the, in the New York Times, uh, toady if ever there was one, oh. uh, boasts, he boasts of spending eight days travelling with the Air Force to all its key forward bases in Afghanistan, Iraq, oh. Kuwait, Quetta and the UAE, Sweet. including a trip to a strike cell carrying out airstrikes oh. in Iraq. He uh, describes these airstrikes with undisguised enthusiasm. Of course. America's greatness. This yeah. is a war in, uh, in, in Iraq today in a nutshell, he And writes. they're killing civilians left, right and centre. Well, that's right. Suggesting that the American military is a true liberator. Uh, <laughs> and that it's... <laughs> According to sir, and it also says it focuses its energies on preventing civilian casualties. Oh, what a load of rubbish! Not that we could actually notice. The criminal lie, of course, is contradicted by the reality of millions killed, wounded, and wounded and uprooted by more than twenty-five years of U.S. wars in Iraq and the surrounding countries in the oil-rich Middle and, East. And who have they actually liberated yet? Liberated from what as well? What are they liberating them from? Uh, life, I would say. <laughs> Unfortunately for Friedman and the Times, this panegyric to the moral purity of the American military unfortunately appeared two days after the US airstrike in Syria killed 40 civilians. That was their concern for the civilians. Oh, that was a mistake, though. Yes. Oh, yes, that, that's right, that's right. The Freeman's whitewashing of the homicidal activities of the US Air Force exemplify the role of the press, led by the New York Times and the Washington Post, as shameless cheerleaders for US military intervention. The prostitution of the press to the military is just one expression of the massive political influence of the armed forces. Hmm. Remember... The United States spends more on its military than the next 10 countries combined. <laughs> and that military spending soaks up more than half of the discretionary spending by the federal government. Hmm. What a waste. Well, that's of why they don't have proper health care. Yeah, that's right. And, and infrastructure, yeah, bridges, yeah, roads. And looking after people who don't have jobs or who are old or that's right. whatever. There are 2 million active and reserve military personnel and millions more employed either directly or indirectly by the intelligence agencies. Local and state police across the country are being ever more tightly integrated with the military in what the Defence Department calls the Total Army, which consists of military police and intelligence forces, and they're being outfitted with military hardware. And you remember early in this year in one of... I can't remember which... which there was a demonstration that they called the police who looked like something out oh, of Star yes. Wars. Yes, they do. Um, now, this growth of the power of the military has been accompanied by its integration into the financial oligarchy, with hundreds of leading military figures receiving seven-figure incomes in the revolving door between the Pentagon, Wall Street and the defence industry. The increasing power of the military over political life in the US <coughs> and its merging with the corporate elite are a product of the protracted decay of American capitalism. A quarter of a century of unending war and decades of soaring inequality have thoroughly eroded the social foundations of democratic well, rule. Well, it's more than a quarter of a century. It is. It's actually. been going on since World War Two. Well, yes, I was thinking that as a I was saying. A quarter of a century, that's only being, 25 years. That's God. right. Well, even the Iraq War's been going on. Well, and the, the, there was a Vietnam War, and uh, before that they've been Korea, invading... Central America, Korea and, and even Granada, for God's sake, yeah. a place of 10,000 people. <laughs> Jesus. Beyond the oligarchy itself, 
a privileged layer of the upper middle class that is the base of the Democratic Party, has accrued significant wealth through the, the rise of stock prices, fuelled by the destruction of working class living standards mm. and imperialist aggression overseas. America's financial elite increasingly unable to reconcile its domination of social life with democratic forms of government, feels that the ultimate backstop to its rule is military force. Despite the assurances of the American press, what is emerging is in fact direct rule by the military, allied with Wall Street and the CIA, with the civilian government functioning as a mere facade. Mm. And I mm. think that's that's actually what. But, but Australia sort of has headed down that path, hasn't it? Because we've attached ourselves to all of the wars, and the gov- this government, well, other governments too, they keep cutting back on social services. Yes, and, yes, and, and keep boosting and keep boosting. We're buying submarines, and they're buying submarines. this, and they're yeah, what a lot of rubbish, and they're getting new strike force airplanes or whatever they need. And so all of that military spending that we to have to do... To fight whom? You, to fight well, whom? To well, those... to fight China. That's what the long-range thing is. Oh, yes, now we're... Allegedly. What a good idea. Let's go to war idea. with our... Let's have a war with Let's China. Get, let's, <laughs> wish, we're bound to win. We're bound to <laughs> Well, there are a few more <coughs> subjects more depressing than the business of climate change and... Oh. The, the the beyond dumb, of course, are denying it, but it's a reality, and it's looking worse and worse and worse. Did anybody hear what's his name on the ABC this morning? The um, uh, the federal minister, oh, what's Which his one? name? Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, somebody might ring up and tell us in a minute. Um, oh, I can't think of. He's, he's a Victorian politician. He's he's relatively. Anyway, what did he say? Oh, well, he was going off about Victoria, going off on its own with, well, with South Australia, uh, with about renewables and and that they shouldn't be doing it as bad because <clears throat> everybody's supposed to be on the same page and all doing By it at the same Colton, time. Right? But then it was put to him that, well, the federal government's not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, but we're looking at clean coal, whereas renewables... Clean Victor- coal. A lot of rubbish, you know. And clean. so he tries to sound like... Like safe poison. Uh, oh, his name nearly came out then. Ditchborn, uh, is it? Hey? Mitch Ditchborn? No, 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 no. He's quite well known. J- 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 uh, Hunter... No. Anyway, anyway it'll come to me in a minute and I'll blurt it out. But he was going on and on about how cross he is with Victoria because we're going after renewable energy when, uh, of course, they don't want that, you know. Well, of course and, they don't. <laughs> of course they don't want but that. But they're pretending they sort of sort of do. Well, they're they've got saying, to. They've got to pretend that they're actually concerned about the, the climate crisis. Yeah, but they're not. But don't touch coal. No. Don't touch coal. Well, there's a new film out, of course, called Infant Convenience Sequel. Truth to Power. And this is a, uh, a sequel to a film produced some 10 years ago, I think in 2006, by Al Gore, uh, which was then called An Inconvenient Truth. Yes. Um, these films show us how the liberal establishment uh, proposes to tackle climate change. Yes. Which is the, the mother of all capitalist crises, you would think. Uh he remains the perfect spokesman for the liberal approach to addressing climate change. <coughs> but he constantly reveals the limits of what the ruling class can imagine. Gore's faith in our political system has remained undaunted 
which is pretty amazing. Despite the debacle of the 2000 election, when George Bush basically stole the election, following a contentious battle to recount voters in uh, in Florida. Uh, Gore's imaginative political limitations were on full display in his original film, uh, An Inconvenient Truth, in that after painstaking laying out the irrefutable case for climate change and its consequences, Gore suggested a way out. Buy a better light bulb at Walmart. What a great idea. It is a good idea. It's, see, such a good, it's so easy, too. You see, if I could think of something like that, well, I could become famous. Well, you could become vice president, at yes. least. Now, that person's name is Josh Frydenberg. Ms. Ms. Google oh, right, just told me. Right, right. Good. <laughs> uh, but Gore's lack of vision, his lack of any critical thinking or analysis of power, was exposed. He does suggest a collective response in, to, in addition to an individual one. But none of his suggestions attack, attach or concern the status quo. Mm. He advocates for two primary courses of action. On an individual level, he has evolved from buying a better light bulb to buy yourself a solar panel. There's progress for you. That is. Especially from Elon Musk's Solar City, a company that Gore's investment firm has a stake in. <laughs> Encouraging municipalities to get their energy from renewable sources and invest in renewable energy is one of the most important things, in fact, that we can do. And that's sort of happening, if not at the federal level, even on the local level, that sort of people are realising that they've got to do something because the government is not going to. Well, I've just been in Central (coughs) Australia, right, (coughs) and uh, down to Alice Springs, and just imagine setting up solar panels, millions of solar panels there. And how right. much energy that would... Uh, oh, uh, it's so obvious. And it's so, so much obvious. space. <laughs> so much space, so much and sun. Yes, and when you've got people who own, like white people who own a million acres there, well, perhaps we could take some of that off them. They don't need that much. No, Put no, some solar no, panels no. on Instead there. Instead of cows, we'll run solar panels. Yes. Uh, Gorsa, um encouraging... Uh, another, anybody, of course, honestly assessing the scale of the problem... We'll admit that Gore's solutions are, to put it mildly, <laughs> inadequate. <laughs> the real limitations to what Gore and his ilk are capable of imagining is re- revealed during the film's coverage of the Paris Climate Accords of 2015. It shows Gore, the film shows Gore, as the behind-the-scenes saviour of the negotiations. <laughs> but it's a film about G- Gore, after all, and the filmmakers are creating a hero act for their movie. As the filmmakers tell it, Gore was working tirelessly to get the Indian government to sign off on the Accords. He was racking his brains, trying everything he could when he was struck by a big idea. Persuade Solar City to share its patent for a super-efficient solar cell with the Indian government. Oh, he got on the phone with his pals, convinced them to be the corporate heroes of the Paris Agreement, and voila, India's on board. Everybody wins. That's not very capitalistic, is it? No. no the pr- problem, they're going to share it. The problem with this happy ending are many. <laughs> Let's start with the simple fact that there's been no technology transfer at all <laughs> so far. It's all been talk. The biggest problem, however, is the unquestioning fealty to the premise of private intellectual yes. property in the first yes. place by Gore and pretty much else. We've got to respect private property even at the cost of the planet. 
What moral justification is there for a private corporation to withhold potentially earth-saving technology from humanity, particularly when that technology rests squarely on prior technical advances developed with public dollars? Why should it have to be up to Solar City whether the Paris Accord succeeded or failed? I mean, at every stage, it's capitalism mm. that stops us solving these problems. Yep. Privileged, privileging private ownership over the interests of the many must be challenged and fought at every turn. So a word of warning about his... He's quite a, a personable sort of fellow, well, Al is. Gore. It's just that being a, a supporter of the capitalist class, he's got no solutions at all. Well, when he first started, he appeared to be a little bit radical, but uh, <coughs> really, it well, just appeared to be so because everybody else was so... Was so absolutely <laughs> appalling. Um, the other thing that's going on, and I suppose I've kept away from it because oh, it's what? everywhere, the marriage business. Oh, God. Yes, I, I gave Tool of the Week to uh, Archbishop uh, Hart this morning on, my, on the other program. Oh, Archbishop Hart, who says that all Catholic workers, uh, if they vote yes, if they're in favour of it, they, they can't work in the Catholic uh, places like nurses and teachers and... So, well, I don't know why they've got to get rid of LBGT people in Catholic. Why not move them to another parish? Well, yes, yeah, like it they work for the, the priests. Yes, yeah, work yes. for the priests. And uh, well, there might be too many of them. Who knows? But well, anyway, no, he wouldn't do that because they're far worse. I think in his eyes. Yeah, yeah of course they. Are. Of course they. Are. <laughs> Those evil women. Uh, Their oh. evil knows no bounds. Exactly. Um, despite the fact that the majority of people have rejected the idea of a plebiscite, the Turnbull government's persisting with a non-binding postal survey on the Uh, question of removing the current definition of marriage from the Marriage Act so that everybody can get married. And a debate's opened up as to whether supporters of marriage equality should boycott the survey. Well, yes, but they, I think, no. I I agree, so do I. No, because they're going to use it. As some sort like of they did with the Republic. Exactly. And, uh, and as a person who is uh, essentially opposed to marriage full stop, uh, well, but I think if people are silly enough to want to get married, they should be allowed to do what they like. It's a question of a right. I wouldn't exactly. urge anybody to get married. I think it's with heterosexual relationship, when you get married, that it changes the man. He suddenly thinks he's the boss. Exactly. He suddenly thinks he's in charge. Yes. And People who've lived together for 20 years get married and they're divorced within six months. Yes. Because the man takes on, even subconsciously. Just see how sensible I was. I never got married. I never lived with a man. Oh, you never lived with a man? No. And, uh, well, I was bossy enough without some bloke trying to boss Well, that's around. right. That's right. <laughs> put most <laughs> men to shame, wouldn't you? World War II. <laughs> Three. Um, of course, the most prominent advocate of the boycott was former High Court Justice Michael Kirby, yes. who called the postal ballot irregular, unscientific, I will take no place in it. Well, he's actually reversed his position. Good, because otherwise it's dangerous. And now he said he yeah, will participate. Yeah. Um, it's important to note that the question of boycotting a vote, or in this case a mm. survey, it's not a tactical question, it's, it's not a strategic question, it's mm. just a tactical question. Yeah, exactly. Um, what is important to note is that the survey is unnecessary. And a cynical move aimed it's, at yeah. delaying any delaying any vote on the marriage equality bill, and giving people an excuse like 
conservative, all the people, and there's people on the Labor side too who are opposed to it, giving them an ex- everybody an excuse for saying, well, in my electorate, people said no, therefore I can't vote for it. Well, that's so, so what's the point of the vote, you might exactly. add? Well, there's no point to it whatsoever, <laughs> except to give them, I don't know, they're hoping, I think, that uh, it gives them an excuse. All this is irrelevant to whether we boycott the vote. And also relevant is the survey's illegitimacy and mm. the abusive intentions behind it. So yeah. we know yeah. that every uh, evil, evil, mis, misaligned bastard is going to come out and say awful things, things about gay people, about LGBT people, yeah. about their children. And about people wanting to get married to animals and... Uh... Oh, that's right. People will be marrying <laughs> bananas soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, I'm just trying to think about that. In um, um, well, it's yeah they've got the spooning position already. In France, before the 2013 vote on equal equality in in France, and just thinking about it, most countries now have married, even the United yeah, States, but even Ireland. Exactly. It's a Catholic state. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and they managed to do it there. I and, mean, how uh, pathetic. The other thing was. Uh, the other thing, which is not related, which I'm just while we're talking, it occurs to me is this business about that uh, if priests have in confession are told, you know, look for Holy Father, bless me because I've abused children. You know. Yes, you can't tell anybody. Well, uh, the law is now, the law is about to say, yes, you've got to report that. Yes. You've got to report that, otherwise, yes. you're guilty of an offence. And of course, yes. the Catholic Church say, oh, but what about the confessional? In other yes. words, the church law should prevail over civil exactly. law. And it used to because if somebody uh, went to a priest and confessed to a murder, for instance, the priest couldn't go and tell anybody. Yes, yes. Well, and, well uh, I think that's a power the church shouldn't have to No, it's, it's wrong, but it's been like, well, well when, I was, when I was being indoctrinated early on, that was definitely the way that nothing ever got told. Well, right. Well, in <laughs> France, you know, millions were mobilised and large numbers were mobilised against marriage equality even after it became law. <laughs> These mobilisations helped contribute to an increasingly homophobic atmosphere in mm. France over the past four years. And in other words, mm. even when they won, the mere fact that it had been put up for every yob yeah. who wasn't gay and didn't want to get married and such, he suddenly gets to, to determine... Yeah. What other people whom he doesn't know do with their I mean, lives? Why the thing is, it's not going to have any effect on anybody. But I know I understand what's going on with the Catholic Church because it's evil to, uh, <coughs> well, to uh, for men, Catholic, for instance, to the have Catholic sex. Church with each want other. to control women. That's what abortion well, well, that's, is about. That's right, because the rule in the Catholic Church is that you only get married to procreate. That's so right. you're not, you're not, and but this begs the question, of course, that what about couples that if you children? can't have a child, yeah, yeah. then should you get divorced? Well, and you're not couples, allowed to divorce. What about couples who decide not to have a child? No, no. Well, that's right. They're they they're in sin. They're in yes. sin. And uh, and if you uh, if you uh, um, can't have children, well, what should you do? You can't divorce because the church doesn't hell. allow that's you. That's what you should do. Go straight <laughs> to hell. And so it's this nonsensical situation that ties women down, firstly to have children, like my grandmother who had about 13, I think, because um, she, was, she was a Catholic, oh, yes. poor woman. Yeah, well, yeah, even my grandmother a was a Protestant. She had, they had 12. Yes. That's grossly indecent, I think. Uh, yes. Um, so. 
I mean, even though in... Um, so what, the point about the French experience shows that even if you don't participate in the survey press, it's not going to stop the homophobic attacks. No. It's not going to stop people saying the most appalling, lying things yeah. about how children are endangered, etc. Um, well, in yes. fact, a boycott will only encourage the right-wing's antics and rhetoric. You see, this thing now that's coming back out, which has been coming trotted out every now and again, particularly because of single mothers, mm. uh, which I oh, was one, evil, yes. uh, that uh, if boys don't have a father, mm-hmm. they'll turn out to be bad. They're well, not going worse, to be properly They might up. turn out to be homosexual. Well, Yes, but if they so they need to have a father for them to be brought up to be normal people. They won't ever see any other men in society. They won't. Have no, a, no, they never. Won't have to do male teachers, no. male employees. No. Male, they'll never meet. Any no, males. they won't know what a male's supposed to That's do. That's right. They'll get a shock <laughs> when they go into a men's toilet. Um, well, for a start, I mean, obviously boycotts are difficult to achieve. Um, if people stay away from the from the uh, the vote, you don't know whether it's because. They're disinterested, whether yeah. they're apathetic, or yeah. whether they're doing it, it because mean, of the boycott. Yeah. It's, uh... um, <coughs> and also can result in inflating the apparent support for the other side. Exactly. Because <coughs> of no votes, they're not going to boycott. They're going to come out and drum up every bigot in the country. Exactly. So <coughs> if you're going to have a boycott, it's be everybody has to boycott, and then you only have to have a no vote, which then shows, yes, there's been a boycott. But it yes. doesn't... But it's not going to be like that. It's you not will going get to be a, what, like 10% that. 10% will boycott. Exactly. Yes, yes, and, and, and possibly endanger the result. Yes. Um, any opposition to marriage equality will be embraced and supported uh, and support will be dismissed. A boycott will only make it easier for yes. the no people to do this. Yes. It's important to support any efforts to legally block the survey. But if it does go ahead then building a united public campaign for a yes vote yes. will create the best opportunity to combat any hate campaign against the LGBT community by reactionary forces and limit the space the Turnbull government will have to manoeuvre on marriage equality, and manoeuvre they will. Oh, yes. Uh, it'll be important that the campaign takes clear positions on other gay rights issues. So we should participate in building the strongest possible yes vote uh, a clear vote to forcing a uh, vote and giving Turnbull and the reactionaries in the coalition and the Australian Christian lobby a bloody nose, long overdue. Now, I've seen estimates of support for marriage equality. The Green Left cites it at 72%. A survey done in the last two days says 57%, oh, which really? is quite a bit. Yes. It's a bit of a worry. With about 25% opposed and the Was rest that a news news. I don't know who did it. It may Survey well be. Or... It will be, but but it's still a majority. But <laughs> yes, it, and it's... of course, the 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 longer the campaign goes on, there's going to be a lot of people confused and think, oh well, yeah, it's not going to be good for the kiddies. No, it's not going to be good for the kiddies. You're going to have all these kiddies running around doing what? I'm not sure. But, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Thinking for themselves, we can't have that. <laughs> but the thing is that. There's no evidence whatsoever that uh, gay couples that the children uh, they have adopted or whatever mm. uh, are any worse or anything than any other no children. There's nothing. Whatsoever. We but haven't had any of them grow up to be serial killers, killers, have we? No, 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 no. And just as a matter of record, we know that most pedophiles are in fact heterosexual. Yes, 
Definitely. That's right. Yes. No question about that. Uh, this was, I remember a book on homosexuality by D.J. West of yes. 40 years ago established yes. that as a fact. Well, last night I was looking at cases uh, for this month that have gone through the county court. Yep. And, uh, well, not just for this month, for this year so far, I, mm. I was looking at them for various reasons. And there are at least probably two or three cases of pedophilia each month this mm. year quite a few of them in the Latrobe Valley. All of them so far, or almost all of them, have been fathers against their daughters. So there you go. Right, right, eh? right. It's not always good within to the have sacred, a father. Within the sacred, sacred institution of marriage. marriage. Starting when they were very little. Well, if you want to live in an institution, <coughs> that's your right. Yes. But it should be the right of gays to live in an institution too. <laughs> yes. If they want to. Yes. 